This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hi, everybody. Jen Hatmaker here. Your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome to the show. We are wrapping up a series that I have just loved for the love of being seen and heard. It's just been amazing. We have had the most incredible guests, the most interesting and important conversations. I just, I could have done this series for another dozen episodes. So, you guys, you might remember today's guest, Lori Gottlieb from her first appearance on the show back in our For the Love of Reconnecting series. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and listen to that episode because it's incredible. It was called Rewriting the Stories We Tell Ourselves. Yikes. Incredible conversation like the one we're having today because the topic we are hitting today affects all of us, sometimes in ways we wouldn't expect because we're talking about mental health today. So if you or anyone you know and love has ever had issues with their mental health, you know how painful that can be. And by the way, mental health is a huge catch-all. I mean, relational issues, anxiety, burnout. Like, So you would think with so much attention on it these days, this would be a much more open subject. And yet still, mental health, therapy, all the boundaries that come with prioritizing like our, our mental wellness is still sometimes shrouded in Shame or silence. I mean, I remember back, you know, two and a half years ago when I was just drowning and I sat in my doctor's office with sky high blood pressure, panic attacks, tears pouring down my face and me looking him in the eye with tears on my cheeks saying, I'm actually really strong. Like I am strong and I'm actually okay in the face of literally my body breaking down. And my eyes just crying. I was still trying to deny that I needed help. So I deeply understand that. Thankfully, with such kindness, he walked me through taking care of my physical health and all of its like 
breaks and then mental health. And I was on an antidepressant for a season. I was, I had anti-anxiety meds to use as needed and they got me through. They helped get me over the hump until I was stable enough and really so that I was stable enough to recover. So it's just freeing to acknowledge when your mental health takes a hit. And I just want to remind you, there's no shame (laughs) in admitting that you need help or you might be depressed or you're off or anxious or overly sad or scared or really anything that feels different or like not in a way that you're just not flourishing. You're not doing something wrong. It's just life. It's just life. Welcome to it. You're just like everybody else. We're all the same here. So Lori, Lori has been blazing trails toward empowering people to really take agency over their own mental health for years. She is a renowned psychotherapist. She's a best-selling author. She's a leading voice in the mental health space. And she's going to help us sort of dive into the transformative power of therapy today and help us destigmatize this a little bit. So her book called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, absolutely captivated readers. I had it in my Jen Hatmaker book club with its super like raw, honesty, profound insights into the human condition. And it resonated deeply with all of her readers, including myself. And so we're also going to talk about social media a little bit and discuss really practical strategies for authentic connections. And it's both simple and challenging. And so I just enjoy all my time with her ever. I love learning from her. She's just so wise and so well-versed in this space. And I think you're going to walk away from this encouraged and inspired. And for those of you who are right sitting on the cusp of, of saying, yes, I think therapy would serve me. I hope this episode serves you. And I hope that it puts the tools in your hands that you need to say yes to yourself. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with the wonderful Lori Gottlieb. Lori, welcome back. I am delighted to see you. My brain was just sitting here thinking it was this exact week last year in Aspen that I met you in person. Oh, that's insane. Wow. Yes. Yes. That was so fun. It was so fun. We were at the Aspen Ideas Festival and you and I had dinner and we talked about everything, literally everything. I'm like, hi, you've never met me. Let me tell you about my childhood. I mean, it was just like everything was on the table. We were both sort of recovering and working through like big, big, big things. And anyway, I was like, oh, well, just like that, I made a friend and I'm just so happy to see you again. Yeah. It's so great to be able to chat again. Yes. So, okay. I've reminded my listeners a little bit about who you are in case they missed our first episode together. But before we really get into the heart of the thing today... Can you talk just for a few minutes about your experiences as both a therapist and as a patient, and maybe a little bit about how your personal therapy journey impacted your understanding of mental health in general? Yeah. You know, it's so important. I think that when people think about therapists, they don't necessarily think about what the life of the therapist is like and that we're just, you know, humans getting through the world. I say at the very, very beginning of my book, you know, I say that I'm a card carrying member of the human race and that, you know, in, in maybe you should talk to someone. In fact, I write about, I follow the lives of four of my patients, but I'm the fifth patient in the book. And I did that so intentionally because I really wanted people to see that every single one of us struggles, every single one of us needs to work through things. You know, you can't get through life without struggling in some way. And I just wanted to show that I know what it's like to be a person in the world. And I think that it's funny because when you watch, you know, TV or movies, the idea of the therapist is either this brick wall, this person who doesn't say anything, you don't know anything about them, or it's this person who's like a hot mess, right? Mm. Like they're just, their so life true. is just, they can't function at all. And it's neither of those. We're just like you. You're just like us. We're just people 
trying to figure it all out. And I think that that's so important because I think a lot of people are maybe afraid to open up to a therapist. They're maybe afraid to say, you know, this is the truth of who I am. And I think it's really helpful to remember. And that's why I really wanted to be open about what I was going through when I went to therapy, because I want people to know that this is a space where we've seen it all, not only as a therapist, but as a person in the world ourselves. I think that's definitely in part why your work is so resonant with people, because obviously you bring all the credentials, you know, all the experience, all the academia that you should, you know, to a work work of your nature. But the fact that you chose to bring your just human side to it is what sets you apart to me. That makes you all of a sudden approachable. Like that draws me to you. We form this idea of the therapist across from us like, well, this person studied mental health. So they are clearly in possession of all the right things and their marriages are great. Their kids are doing fantastic. They don't under really understand my struggles, but here they are to tell me what to do. And so, but that's not true at all. It's just no. not true at all. No. And in fact, it's interesting because I think so many of us, and I did this too, when I went to therapy is that we come in and we want to present sort of the best version of ourselves. And we don't always tell the whole story in the very beginning because it's like, well, I don't really need to get into that detail right now, or I don't really need to tell, you know, the whole story about this argument that I had with my partner, because let me tell you what they did, but I'm not going to tell you what I did or said, right. Or I'm going to minimize that. We don't necessarily even do that purposely. It's just the way that we present in the world. We're so afraid of being judged. And so people will kind of avoid kind of taking off the mask. And I always say, it's, it's funny, I think about when I was training, one of my clinical supervisors said, there's something likable about everyone. It's your job to find it. Oh, and that's what good. I found was that what's most likable is when people are real, that when people show me the truth of who they are, I immediately connect with them. But when people try to pretend to be some better version of themselves, it's kind of hard to connect with them. It's hard to be in there with that because it doesn't feel real. So the authenticity is what connects us. And what I want people to know is that that's not just true in the therapy room, but it's true in life, that the more you can show the truth of who you are, the deeper your connections will be with the people in your life. Mm. I hate that we do that with our therapists. And I hate that you know that we do it. I just, <laughs> I have a hundred percent done it. I've polished up a story or withheld a few elements of it. Why? I'm not running a popularity. I'm trying to get to the bottom of stuff, but you're so right. It's our instinct, but really it is in that like raw, unvarnished truth telling to one another that we really get somewhere and that we are really known. Okay, Lori, this series is called For the Love of Being Seen and Heard. And our aim here was to talk to people who are bringing awareness and advocacy to either areas of life or whole demographics, felt needs even, that either are not understood well, that are sort of marginalized or overlooked. And so we really wanted to have an episode on mental health for this exact reason. And no matter what we have seen and heard, no matter how much we are working to normalize mental health, just being health, as opposed to like some different version of our health that <laughs> exactly. doesn't, it's not the same as our, our liver health or our brain. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. But yet still, sometimes when it comes to our personal stories, we still deny what it is that we are actually experiencing and what we might actually need to heal. Can you talk a little bit about that human instinct and and maybe what you have seen from your own experiences as a therapist as to why it is so important to destigmatize this conversation and maybe how to do it? Sure. I, I love what you said about how we think about mental health differently instead of thinking about it as health, because it is health. And when I think about it, it when there's a study that most people, it takes 11 years 
from the time that they think, oh, maybe I should see someone to when they actually see someone. 11 years. Gosh. Now, if you were having chest pain, would you wait 11 years to go see a cardiologist? No, you wouldn't. So what people do though, is they compare and they, they kind of feel like they don't deserve to go talk to someone about mental health because they don't really think it's that important. They don't value it. So what happens is if you fall down and break your arm, you're probably going to go and get it x-rayed and get a cast. And you're not going to be like, well, it's not that bad because they don't have stage four cancer, right? You're not going to compare it to something like that. You're going to be like, oh yeah, I broke my wrist. You're going to go get it taken care of. If you are feeling like, you know, I'm struggling, I'm having a lot of anxiety, or I'm feeling really sad a lot of the time, or I'm having trouble sleeping, or I'm having trouble in this relationship, or I don't know how to talk to my kid, or whatever it might be, or I feel like, I don't know, I feel stuck, but I don't know how to describe it. We feel like, well, it's not that bad, right? Because compared to, and whatever you want to compare it to, it's not that bad compared to, I have a roof over my head and I have food on the table. So why should I complain about anything? We think of it as a complaint as opposed to, this is not a complaint, but your mental health is somehow a complaint. And so we think, yeah, it's not that bad. And so then people wait, whether it's a week or a month or years generally, before they come in, that 11-year mark, right? And then they come in and things are really, really bad. So what breaks my heart about that is that, first of all, you've suffered unnecessarily for all of that time. Can you imagine if you just like let your wrist hang out there and it got worse and worse and worse? Why would you do that? And the other thing is now that things have gotten really, really bad, like if you let your wrist go, maybe like it would have cracked in like five different places if you didn't get the cast. And now things are worse than they would have been if you just came in. And we've got to get you back to baseline. And now we can deal with the original thing that you would have come in to talk about. So I think that what keeps people from coming in partly is they don't feel like mental health is that important or they feel like they have it really good. Like, look, I have I have a partner, sure. a family, or I have good friends, or and you know, I I I have a roof over my head, whatever the thing is. And they think, well, so. I don't really need to go talk about this. And that is so, so misguided. Yes, I agree. You are so right. And by the time we finally address it, it's also compounded. And we've made a worse mess of things because we're operating out of dysfunction or fear or whatever the thing is. Gosh, it's so true. I think there's also a pragmatic sort of resistance to to therapy in that we clearly live in a world, at least in the West, certainly in our culture, that no matter what they say, what they do is value productivity and achievement pretty highly over any sort of like rest, respite, self-care, a slowing down of things, a rebalancing of any equipment. I mean, we say we value rest, but we do not. Like nothing <laughs> suggests that we do. Not our not our laws, not the way we structure our work culture. Productivity and achievement is king. And so how do we strike some sort of a healthier balance and prioritize mental health, which sometimes includes taking our foot off the gas without feeling guilty or inadequate, like we're phoning it in, like we're doing something wrong, because generally that's not the message we get. It's a lovely idea that I don't see actually practiced a lot. Well, I think it's so funny when you look on social media and you see people who say, you know, I really value mental health. I really value self-care. And then they'll also post. And this week, guess what I did? I taped three podcasts and I published a book and I, you know, I did this and that and I got my kids ready for camp. And I, and it's like, what? And that's rewarding. That sounds exhausting. But everyone claps for it. Yes. And then they get a million, a million pieces of validation for that. So I think, I think also what I see though, as a therapist is that I see people using productivity as a drug that actually what it does is when you are busy, 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 you don't have to feel. 
And so whatever, you know, there's so many ways that we use what we wouldn't necessarily consider drugs, but, you know, where we can see where something is not balanced in our lives and it comes out in behaviors. It comes out in, you know, insomnia or like too much sleep, too little sleep, too much food, too little food. It comes out in a short temperedness. It comes out in something is just not right. And it comes out in a constant busyness. I always have to be busy because when there is silence, I can't be with myself. And we see that with our phones too. We see that we can't even be in an elevator without pulling out our phones. And then we complain like, oh, I'm not getting service because I'm between floors three and five. It's like, that's 10 seconds. And it's crazy. Just sit with our thoughts, sit with our feelings. We can't wait in line to get a coffee without being on our phones. We're always busy, busy, busy checking the emails. You know, I I wrote in the book that somebody had said that the internet is the most effective short-term non-prescription painkiller out there. Nice. Yeah. Because it's really something we use to distract ourselves. Definitely. It has an anesthetic effect if you want to use it as such. Yes. It's just temporary, like all anesthesia is. Like it wears off. It does wear off. And, And so then we need more. Then we need another hit. And so then we go back and we start scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, or we start working and working and working and working. But I think that we need to redefine success. So success isn't all those things. Success, I think, ultimately, for most people is connection. That if we have connection, we are successful in life. The other things follow. But we need connection to have a successful life. And that can be with anyone. I think we we have this thing in our culture where it's all about romantic connection. But there are so many different kinds of connection. What is the what is the quality of your friendships? What is the quality of your family relationships? And that can be your chosen family if your biological family isn't, you know, able to have those kinds of connections with you. What is the quality of your connections just in the world? What is the quality of your connection to yourself? So that is where I think we need to think, what is my barometer of success? And when I wake up every day, what am I doing to nurture those connections? And that is so true. And what's interesting is when we decide, maybe even just by sheer will, to prioritize that question and that energy, it has a profound effect on our lives. I I'm I'm reading these studies coming out currently that talk about connection, the quality of our relationships having a more profound effect on our longevity than like drinking, smoking, and nutrition combined. Absolutely. That it is, it's our quality of relationships, our sense of connection that keeps us alive longer and loneliness adversely does the opposite. Yes, it, it it affects your immune system, it affects your blood pressure, it affects all of these processes that are going on in our bodies systemically, that we need connection to be healthy. We absolutely need it. But the thing that people need to realize is it's not the number of connections, it's the quality of those connections. So it's not like you need so many people, it's that you need to feel connected in a deep way to a few people. And that's what's important. And I think that this goes back to something that I write about, and and maybe you should talk to someone, which is the difference between idiot compassion and wise compassion. So in my book, I write about, you know, often we go to our friends and we'll say, listen to what happened. And, you know, we tell them the stories and our friends, instead of really getting in there with us and being really compassionate, again, that's why it's called idiot compassion and wise compassion, because the word compassion is in there, that we think we're being compassionate when we're like, yeah, you know, this is, you say something like my mother did this, my partner did this, my friend did this. And we say, yeah, you go girl, you're right. They're wrong. That's not connection, but we think we're preserving the connection by sort of lying to our friends. Even though we can see it's kind of like if a fight breaks out and everybody you're going to, maybe it's you. We don't say that to our friends. We can see that our friends are in these patterns. We see our friends really well. We know our friends. You're right. We won't tell them the truth. And then they keep going through these patterns and they're struggling. And we think we're being a good friend and we're preserving the connection. 
by basically saying, yeah, you know, the other person was wrong. Maybe the other person did something that wasn't great, but what did you do? We can see what our friends do too. And we're not honest with that. And that's the, I think the value of therapy is that you get wise compassion, which is we will hold up a mirror to you and we will help you to see what you haven't been willing or able to see about your role in the situation. And when I talk about connection, I'm talking about real connection like that. Like who can you be honest with and who can be honest with you in a really kind way? Who do you trust in that deep way? Those are the kinds of connections we're talking about. Not the people that when you post on Instagram about something and it's your side of the story and we're all unreliable narrators. Of course. We're all telling our side and everyone's going to validate your side of the story. That feels very empty because what you really want is someone where you can bring the ridiculousness of yourself because you know humans are ridiculous. We all are. And you could say, oh my God, I did this thing. I'm so embarrassed. Like, here's, what do you think? Help me. Let's talk about this. And your friend can be really honest with you. It's so true. I really appreciate you bringing that up because I'm, as you're talking, I'm going through my personal experience with therapy and it was all in there. Like everything was in the, in the cake mix, you know? So I was, some of it for me was like processing like pain and betrayal. Some of it was, what does this look like to recover? There was some of that. But when I look back on that really intense season of therapy following my divorce, what stood out the most affected me the most and impacted the way I'm living now more than any of that was when my therapist began pointing out the places where I had responsibility and my own patterns and my own responses and my own behaviors. And I remember she said to me one time, this is yours. Nobody did this to you. This, this part is yours. So you either deal with it and face it, or you're going to walk it into the next relationship. And I was just, it was, it was so jarring. I'm like, my friends don't talk to me like this. Um, <laughs> exactly. I like my friends better. <laughs> but it was true. But, but here's the thing about that. And, and there, there, there's a both and, and I, and I think that that's so important to hold the both and of this. So, so yes, there are difficult people in all of our lives and that can be really, that can really cause us to become depressed. But then what is our role in that? Why are we in this situation or why are we, what are we doing to, to set boundaries with this person? Like, what is our role in this? So it's not just, oh, I'm the victim here. That's right. It's, it's oh, I had a role in this dance. You know, all relationships are a dance where somebody's doing something. You guys are doing this dance step. Sometimes you guys get into this pattern where you keep doing the same dance over and over and over again. So in therapy, what we say is you need to change your dance steps. If you change your dance steps, the other person has to change their dance steps or they will fall flat on the floor, which is fine because you don't want to dance with them. So either they change their dance steps or you say, you're not my dancing partner. I can't dance with you. Mm. It's so powerful. It's, It's the most powerful thing I walked away with. And yet another reason therapy is so valuable. It's so important. There is a place, there is a time, a small moment where, yes, we want to surround ourselves on the porch with yes men because we're crying into our Cheerios and we just need comfort, but that is not the right approach for the long haul. And so therapy really makes us better and it grows us up. It does. I also think we need to learn how to listen to our friends because yes, there is a time when we just need someone to give us a hug, someone to say, you know, yes, this is terrible. We need that. But we need to, when someone comes to us and they're dealing with something difficult, we need to say to them, how can I be here right now for you? And they might say, I just need you to listen. I just need you to hear this. I just need a hug. And then maybe two days later or a week later, they might come back and you could say, how can I be here? And they could say, I need, I need you to, I need to talk this through with you. Like, let's think about this. Or how did I get into the situation? Or I'm so confused or I don't know what to do right? So it's not just one conversation. So you don't need to like, you know, deliver a truth bomb in that moment. (laughs) What you need to do is you need to say, how do you need me to be here for you right now? And if you need me to be here in a different way, come back and we'll talk about it. 
Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I want to go back to something you mentioned a few minutes ago because I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the person listening to this episode for whom their own mental health is still set over there on a shelf and they're nervous to access it or reach for it or admit it, deal with it, face it. Because also dealing and facing is hard. Um, This is not easy work. You were talking earlier about social media. In a different context, we were talking about the anesthetizing, anesthetizing effect it can have on us. I'd like to hear your thoughts. I know so much ink has been spilled about social media use and the mental health connection, but it's real. And I feel it. I feel it in my own damn brain. I feel it. I feel myself reaching for my phone to like save me from discomfort. And then it does the opposite. It comes with this little built-in backpack of shame that shows up. Anyway, I... I think I would just like to hear your thoughts as a mental health professional and as a therapist, because let me be fair real quick. I'm not one of these people that think social media is a 100% inherent bad thing. I don't. It can be used for great good and has been. It can be a connective tool. It can be. But I think from from a mental health perspective, I'd just like to hear your thoughts on how social media is affecting us poorly and really impacting our mental health. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. First of all, I think that there are some really positive aspects of social media. I think that people can find people who have experienced things like them so they don't feel so alone. I think people can connect in certain ways. I think there's a lot of value to social media, but I think that we have to use it responsibly. And I think where we can get into dangerous territory is first of all, one of the things that happens on social media is there's no nuance. So people post a lot and I see this, you know, it drives therapists crazy when people say things like, well, that person hurt me in this way. So I'm going to become estranged from them or I'm going to cancel them or I'm going to cut them out of my life as opposed to how can I work through this friendship? How can I talk with my friend about what happened? And what happens is people post a one-sided version of a story and they don't know context. They don't know the other person's version of the story. They don't know intentionality of the other person or motivation. They don't know what's going on in the other person's life. And they immediately say, well, that's terrible. Cut this person out, right? And they just kind of don't think about it in the way that a real conversation would help people to see it. That's why I have a podcast called Dear Therapist where people come on and they're real sessions in real time. And people can hear what therapy sounds like that sounds different from a conversation that you might have on social media or or even with your friend or family member. So they can hear, well, how do we think about this differently? You came in, people write in a letter and we talk about it and then we give them homework at the end so people can see, oh, it's not just talking about it, but it's taking action. So here are the homework assignments. You have a week to complete them. And then they come back and they report. You hear it all in one episode. And we can really hear how a nuanced conversation can help people think about what are my next steps? What might be going on here that I'm not seeing? What will happen if I try something different than maybe the internet is telling me to do? So on on social media, it's like everyone is being gaslit. Everyone is not respecting your boundaries. Everyone is a narcissist, right? 
and you don't really know the whole story. So I think it gets really dangerous where, where there's no nuance. And I don't think that's the best place to kind of process these complex human relationships. The, the other thing is that it's a place for what I like to call toxic comparison, because one thing or another will happen when you compare. Either you will feel inferior to someone else and their life, and then you're going to feel bad. And all you're seeing is what they're posting. And we know this intellectually, but we are humans and we compare. That's what we do. And so you're either going to feel bad about yourself or you're going to feel superior. Like, well, I'm better in some way. I, you know, than this post, I'm more successful or I'm better looking or I have this in my life. And that's not healthy either. Right. Right. So you don't want to feel superior or inferior. You just want to feel like I'm a fellow human. And we can't help but compare. So I think that we we feel worse no matter what we do if we are comparing. So I think that you need to follow accounts that make you feel like I'm growing or this is something interesting or I'm getting good information from this. Not the accounts where you know you're going to compare yourself either favorably or unfavorably. That's not going to help you. So I say use social media in a way where you're very intentional about, and I've used that word a lot today, intentionality. I think we can go through life and years will pass and we have no idea how we spend our time. And we do not have a long time on this earth. And I always say, and I think this people don't like to think about this, but I think thinking about the fact that life has a hundred percent mortality rate, and that includes yeah. us. <laughs> so a hundred percent is a hundred percent that we need to think about how are we spending our time here? So if you want to be on social media, which is great, I'm on social media, I find some value from it, but I use it in a really intentional way. And I don't waste my time just scrolling through accounts where I'm going to be comparing or I'm going to feel bad about myself or I'm going to be kind of just wasting time. Like I follow people like you, Jen, I follow people where I feel like I'm going to learn something here and that's going to help me through my day. Yeah. Yeah, I do a, a feed curation about once or twice a year. Yeah. With some pretty like clear boundaries, like, is this serving me in any way? It's, it's some are just humor. They they make me laugh and they're hilariously yes. entertaining. That's okay too. Like I, I don't follow this, you know, but I ask really hard questions and I'm pretty ruthless and I find I immediately feel better. Immediately. When I like carve out the ones that were making me feel either chronically inferior or superior because you're right on both counts. And humor, what you said is so important. We forget about that. You know, Remember so many when we times, used to laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you know, it's, it's people don't realize that, but we laugh a lot in therapy. People do not realize like therapy is hilarious because we're hilarious. Like what is the gap between what we say we want and what we're actually doing? What are the ways in which we self-sabotage all the time? And we kind of know it, but we don't really want to be called on it. But in therapy, we're called on it in the kindest possible way. And we can laugh with our therapist about, yeah, yeah, I said that, but I'm actually doing this other thing, right? Or I said I was going to make this change, but instead I did this. You're right, because as you said, we're ridiculous. Yes. And some of that is funny. It's funny. It's funny because we say so many things about, you know, what we what we want to do. And then who's getting in our way? Nobody in the world but us. So let's talk about that. Like, why are you getting in your own way? What's happening there? Right. It's not necessarily for anybody who hasn't been to therapy. It isn't the movie scene of the super somber. I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes the session is just super somber, but it's, it's way more human than that. There's way more like human dynamic between therapist and, and person. And there's a lot of life. In fact, you were just mentioning your podcast, which is so great. And it's so creative in that who gets a front row seat to actual therapy. That's a rare gift. Can you talk about maybe either a favorite episode or a recent episode either that you thought this one was really something. And I really hope people listen to this one. Oh, wow. There are so many. I feel like, I feel like it's kind of like in therapy, like who's your favorite patient? All of sure. them. <laughs> you know, these are people who we don't know, by the way, these are not. So I do this with another therapist, Guy Winch. And it's interesting because People just write in a letter to us and we don't know anything about them. It's like they just came in and sat on our couch. 
And we go through it. We both have advice columns. He had, he does one for Ted. I do one for the Atlantic. But this is you can hear us thinking through the problem with them. And people trust us so much. And it's such an honor when people will just be like, hey, I'm doing this and I'm going to because I really want help. And I know that the best way to do that is just to be vulnerable and just to like say it all. And a lot of it is, yes, you know, people, people cry, of course, but people laugh too, and they laugh with us. And, you know, there's, I mean, an example of humor in one of the episodes is this woman was experiencing her husband was cheating on her. And she was saying, you know, she kept like giving him more chances and giving him more chances. And at a certain point, you know, she was like, well, you know, this has happened twice. And we're like twice, you know, like the betrayals. It's not just the cheating. It's the lies. It's the this and that. We take her through the whole thing. It's like this has happened like five times. Right. At least we can count half a dozen just in the last two minutes of this conversation. And she laughed and we laughed. And, you know, and it's 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 when you can really speak to those truths that it's funny. You know, her situation's not funny, but what she's doing that the forgiveness that so many times the, the, the delusional way that she tells herself, like the denial, all of that at a certain point, when you finally see it, it's funny. It's like, if that were your friend and she were doing this, you would, you would laugh with your friend. So the therapy can be funny that way. But also I think some of my favorite episodes have been like, when people are having trouble, there was this, this guy that came in and he was having, he was a new father and he was saying, my parents were so, they didn't let me have feelings. They denied my feelings. They're critical all the time. Anything they can criticize, they will criticize. They put me down and then they say, oh, you're so sensitive. Don't be so sensitive. And he said, I don't want that around my wife. I don't want that around my kids. I just, I don't, we're not going to be those kinds of parents, but I don't want my parents to do that. And we taught him how to set boundaries with his parents and how to have conversations with his parents. And it was so beautiful to see him get out of that child position and be the adult that he is and to say, yes, I'm sensitive. And I love that about myself. That is my superpower, that I am a sensitive person. That has allowed me to have these relationships with people that I love to be a sensitive person in the world. He reframed that from a negative thing that his parents were saying to a positive thing. And it was so beautiful when his dad could say to him, I really get this now. His mom couldn't do it in the same way, but his dad did. And it was like so life-changing. So I think that people think another misconception about therapy is that you're gonna go to therapy and you're gonna talk about your childhood for years and you're never gonna leave. And it's very present focused. And that's what we're trying to show on the podcast is that is that it's very much about what is happening now and what can we do now? Yes, the past informs the present, but we want you to have pain relief as quickly as possible. So we want to be really proactive of what can we do right now? And, and I think just another thing to mention is, you know, that was a guy. And so many times guys come into therapy and they say something like, you know, I've never told anyone this before. And they've literally never told anyone, not a soul. And then they say the thing, and by the way, it's the kind of thing that women talk about at lunch. So, you know, it's like, it's like, we just talk about that. And so I think that, I think that we really need to think about, like we say as women that we want men to open up to us, to be vulnerable to us. And in couples therapy, I will see like a woman who will say to her husband, I just want you to open up to me. I feel disconnected from you. I feel like I can't reach you. And then he opens up to her and maybe he starts crying or he tears up or his voice cracks a little bit and she gets profoundly uncomfortable. Like, it's like, I want this. I don't feel safe when you don't open up to me, but I don't feel safe when you're that vulnerable with me. So that is a cultural thing. We need to get rid of that. We need to say men and women and any gender, whatever you are, however you identify, everybody is entitled to being vulnerable and having someone sit with them and be present with them in their vulnerability and not judge them and not look down on them, but to connect with them. Women will come in, by the way, 
and they'll say, you know, I've never told anyone this before, except for my mother, my sister, my right. best friend. <laughs> totally. Right. So the boss. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like this person in Starbucks that I happen to stand <laughs> in line with. That's so right. I, I think we really need to think yeah. about, you know, not only can we be vulnerable, but can we sit with another person's vulnerability? That's great. I think to your point too, of ancillary advantage and positive effect of therapy is that in a really safe environment that's non-judgmental, that's impartial, we get to practice being vulnerable. It, it, it's a good practice space. Like these are what the words feel like when they come out of my mouth. This is what a conversation could look like when it's kind of all on the table. And then I've just noticed in my own life, having said some really hard things in therapy, I was able then to say some of those things in my real life relationships for the first time. Cause I'd, I'd done it. I'd gotten it out of my system. I'm like, okay, that's how it felt. Like nobody's going to die. And this is maybe how it can go. And it often does. That is the entire point of therapy. So we are helping you to have your relationships out there in the way that you're able to do it in here with us. And so that includes, by the way, not just role playing, like what might this conversation sound like? And we absolutely do that. And it's so helpful, like you said, Jen, to just get the words out and practice saying them. And then it's like, oh, wow, I said them and the world didn't stop. And I think I can say them out there too. And we practice what might this person's response be? And then how can we self-regulate during that time? And what is a different way to interact with them if we don't get the response that we want? And so what might we do? So that's really helpful. But the other part of it is what happens in the relationship with your therapist? Because that's a real relationship too. So what happens when... Oh, I did something that inadvertently made someone feel unheard or unseen, or, you know, I somehow hurt them and I didn't mean to, because that will happen. These are human relationships. Or they felt profoundly misunderstood when I said this instead of this. Can you bring that up with your therapist? That's a great place to practice, you know, because people don't want to disappoint their therapists. But at the same time, we need you to be honest with us. This is a relationship. So if something didn't go the way you wanted to, I need you to tell me that. So can you practice saying to your therapist, hey, you know what? Last session, I was really thinking about this and it bothered me all week. But when you said this, I felt like you didn't get me or I felt like that that didn't sit right with me. And I will say, thank you so much for yeah, telling of course. me. I yeah. did not know that. Tell me more. Mm, Tell of me course. about that. And let's talk about that. That's a great point. It can also be a beautiful practice ground for conflict resolution yes. in, in the healthiest possible way. Like it's, we get to start at the top, like with somebody who's really trustworthy and then practice, walk those steps out. Let me just ask. Did you know more than 75% of Americans experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% seek out a solution for that pain? Your feet don't have to hurt. So let me tell you about Superfeet. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot, from cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive. You can dial in your fit by taking their quick quiz online. Answer just a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. Foot biomechanics may be complex, but solving foot pain should be simple. So when you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. When your feet feel good, so do you. Your foot health is an important part of your overall well-being. Visit superfeet.com and enter the promo code FTL at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these 
every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus, it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Ask you one more question, Lori. I'm thinking finally again of the person sitting here who knows they have some things to work through in therapy with a therapist. They could be on their 11th year and it's time finally. And so for someone who maybe has never done it and they have stereotypes in their minds and they've invented some stories about it and they've catastrophized in a handful of ways and, and also they just have no lived experience with it. And so they're not exactly sure what to expect. What would you say to that person are a handful of maybe small things that person can remind themselves that will both help them say yes to getting some therapy and then also get the absolute most out of their time with their therapist? That's such a great question. I would say, first of all, I would have them ask themselves, if I do nothing, what will change in my life? Or if I take this risk and I go spend 50 minutes of my life, really, that's all it is. It's a consultation. So a big misconception people have is if I go to therapy, then I'm either in therapy with that person or I'm not going to go to therapy. And that's not what it is. This conversation is 50 minutes of your time to say to yourself, did I feel comfortable with this person? Did I feel understood in as much as someone can understand you? But you, you, I guess the better question is, did I feel felt? You know that, that experience of feeling felt? When I was talking to this person, did I feel felt by this person? If yes, great. And another question when you leave those 50 minutes you might ask is, did they say or do something that made me think about something just slightly differently? We're not going to challenge people too much in that first session because we're just trying to get to know you. But maybe we might ask a question like, why do you think that happens? Or has that happened before to you? Or does this feel familiar to you? And you might think, oh, wow, I never thought about that, but it does, right? So you want someone who's going to maybe ask you important questions, maybe one in that first session, and also just that feeling of feeling felt. And then you might say, oh, I didn't realize therapy was that. So maybe I'll go back for a second session. You're not committing to anything. Totally. People are scared. It's like, you're just like, how was that conversation? It's like a first date, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I don't, if I, if I want a partner, I can either never go on a date because so many things can go wrong because they do, right? Like we've heard all the horrible dating stories, so I should just never date. Or I can go and spend an hour having coffee with someone and seeing what it's like. What's the worst that can happen? I have a bad time, right? Or maybe I connect with someone or maybe I make a new friend. Let's see what happens. So the same thing is I'm going to meet this person. How was it that first time? If it wasn't those things, that doesn't mean therapy isn't for you. It means 
I didn't find the right person. So let me try to find some, let me try a different experience. Let me go on a date with someone else. And now I know more about what I like and what I don't like about this kind of the thing that that person did in the room. Maybe they didn't feel warm to me. I didn't feel felt or they, you know, whatever. I didn't like something about them. It's a very personal thing. And so you go back for a second session. You're not committed to anything. And you say, okay, how was it here? And by the way, bring up how you're feeling with the therapist. So a therapist might ask you like, what was that first session like? And you can then, and people like, wow, I, I don't really talk about what conversations are like. That's interesting. I've never done that before. And then you might say, oh, I was a little nervous or I wasn't really sure. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to talk about in here. I'm not really sure how much I'm supposed to open up. You can talk about those things in a way that you might not outside. So in your in your second session, you might be like, you might even offer that, like, hey, I'm a little nervous, or I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to talk about, right? And the therapist will so welcome that if it's a therapist that you're going to want to be with. So you just take it session by session. And I think that that makes it easier for people to get over that hump of, oh, I'm so afraid. I don't really want to sign up for therapy. I don't know what it is. Try 50 minutes, see what it's like, take it from there. Great. Such good advice. When you look at it that way, it's low stakes. It's low stakes, but very potentially super high ROI. So it's worth it. Like that, the risk analysis there is definitely worth it. I know it has been for me. Yeah. And I think one more hurdle that people need to get over is this fear of what someone's going to think about them. Oh, man, that's big. It's weird. Why do we walk that into therapy? Right. It's therapy, but we still want you to like us. But I think what's underneath that is what am I going to think of myself? And so what I what I want to say to people about that is that you know, we talk about kindness all the time, but it's not just kindness. I think that what we do to ourselves is, you know, often I will say to people like if I'm on stage and I'm giving a talk, I'll say, "Who is the person that you talk to most in the course of your life. Raise your hand. Is it your partner? Is it your parent? Is it your best friend? Is it your sibling? Lots of hands for all of those. But the person that we talk to most in the course of our lives is ourselves. And what we always say to ourselves isn't always kind or true or useful. So when, you know, I, I had this client in therapy and she was like, oh no, I'm not really, I'm really kind to myself. I'm not self-critical. And I said, listen, I want you to listen to this voice that we all have, the way that we talk to ourselves. I want you to listen to how you talk to yourself. And I want you to go home this week. And I want you to write down everything you say to yourself, good, bad, everything else. And so she, she's like, okay, whatever. But she was very skeptical. She comes back the next week. She had written everything down. She starts to read it to me. She starts crying. She says, I did not realize what a bully I am to myself. And they were things like she was writing an email and she made a typo and the voice in her head said, you're so stupid. How many of us do that? We just we're like horrible to ourselves. She passed her reflection in a mirror and she said, you look terrible today. OK, so when we think about therapy, a lot of it is I don't want to reveal myself to a therapist, to this other person. But a lot of it is I'm afraid of what I'm going to think about myself if I'm really honest. and so. I want us to think about getting that voice out of our heads and asking, is it kind? Is it true? And is it useful? And if it doesn't meet those three criteria, that voice needs to go away. And that's one thing therapy will teach you is how can I be my real self, my messy self, my imperfect self, my fallible self, and also love myself? Is it kind? Is it true? Is it useful? Let's talk to ourselves differently. And therapy can teach you how to do that. Boy, that would change our world. It would. If everybody could sort of muffle that mean voice and reroute it in our own heads. Oh my goodness. We would be different humans. We'd be different partners. Right. And it's not about deluding yourself. It's not about taking being responsible or taking accountability. It's, it's about taking accountability but with, with honesty and compassion. And when you can do that with yourself, you can do that so much better with the people that you love in your life. Oh, too. totally. Self-compassion is such a fascinating conversation and possible. I always want people to know that, like, no matter how deeply mired you are in whatever, pain, self-loathing, addiction, suffering, dysfunctional relationships, 
we're not in prisons and there is a way through and there is a way to recover and there is a way to heal. And there are boundaries that can change our relationships either for better or for discard, but either way we're in a better place. And so I always want people to feel hopeful. Therapy is such a profound tool to get there. Just profound. There's other stuff to do too, but Oh, so useful. You mentioned, you mentioned we're not in prison. So there's this, there's a scene in, in maybe you should talk to someone where my own therapist says to me, you know, you remind me of this cartoon and it's of a prisoner shaking the bars, desperately trying to get out, but on the right and the left, it's open, no bars. Right. So, so sometimes we feel like we're trapped by all kinds of things in our lives, the people in our lives, the circumstances in our lives, but sometimes we don't see that we can walk around those bars. And that's what therapy can teach you is, are you, are you just sitting there shaking the bars and feeling like you can't get out and you're stuck or are there ways around that? Is it actually already open? That's good. And you just need help to see that it's open. Yeah. That's so good. So great. Before I ask you the last and final question, what are you working on right now? You're so busy. You have so many amazing resources you're putting into the world. We're all so grateful for it. Do you have something new in the hopper? or in the works season four of the dear therapist podcast just launched. So we have all new sessions that people can hear. And if they've missed the first three seasons, they can catch up on those. I do a column for the Atlantic where people can write in and I give not really advice, but more of, I help people to think about their problem the way a therapist would think about it. So I really feel like people really do know what to do. They just need someone to help them see it in a certain way. And then I am writing a new book. Yay! But in the meantime, with Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, I have a new workbook that people can, It's it helps people to rewrite their stories. So it's the Maybe You Should Talk to Someone workbook. And then I have a journal, the Maybe You Should Talk to Someone journal, which is more of just reflections based on sort of some of the lessons from the book. So if you want something a little less intense than the journal, the journal is kind of like what you would do in therapy. And the uh, the workbook, sorry, is what you would do in therapy. And the journal is more of how can I just kind of sit with myself for five minutes every day? That's great. Those are great tools to be able to take a big book and take those words off the page and apply them and work them out in your own life. Fantastic. I will put links up for all of this for my listeners. Okay. You're so great. This is the last question. You've answered this before. Everybody gets this question in all the series and answer it however you feel today. It could be really like earnest today, or it could be absurd. So it's dealer's choice. What is saving your life right now? Ooh. Okay. What immediately came to mind is I spent my holiday, my July 4th, creating a different kind of independence day, which is that we decluttered our, like everything. Oh, we I love this. decluttered everything. I'm telling you, oh, Jen. Yeah. Oh, I love this so much. I, I can't, I can't even tell you. We we don't even live in, in a big space. We live in a smaller space. And I don't even know how these things fit in our living space. Like, I don't even know. I found things that I wore in college. And oh, I gosh. found like running shoes from like years ago, thinking, and and this is the thing about it was it was all of these things that I would save, like bedding and this and that, like things like what if? What if we have a house guest who needs this? What if I I need to, shoes that need to that can get dirty if I'm like walking through a river? Uh-huh. When do I ever walk through a river? When right. would that happen? Right? right? Like what what or just you know like all of these things are like what if I need this because what if I go on this kind of trip or what if I need this for this kind of situation? It's like. I can't even tell you, we took it. I was, I got like a workout from all, it took like a full 24 hours to just get, and I had books on myself. Like what if I ever, I got rid of 500 books, 500. I I understand. Okay. I got rid of, we had like 30 bags of clothes and bedding. And I don't even know what of things that I don't, I didn't even know they existed in our house. I don't know how they fit. I don't know where they were. And now everything is just like, it, it's kind of like I'm a recondo of the place, right? It's like everything that brings me joy, everything that I love, everything that, that I want to see and nothing that I don't want to see. I love it. I, I'm a purger by nature and nothing is more satisfying to me than just clearing out of space. I'm not very sentimental and having things be spare 
and really edited is so gratifying. So the second you said that, I was like, oh, tell me more about the dumpster and how many bags was was it? Oh, it feels so good. Uh It was beautiful. It was. and, And that whole question of like, what if? I thought it was a metaphor too. It was like, what are we doing all the what ifs? Why don't we just do with the what is? That's and so the good. what is, is yeah. that I don't need this crap in my house. You don't. And you know what? If you need to go walking through a river, okay, get a little pair of shoes from, from Target and yes. put them on your feet and walk through the river. Yes. Like you just don't, we don't need everything for what if. We need it yeah. for what if. That is such what a is. good word. Yes. I love it. Well, I think you're so fantastic and so smart. And so I follow you, of course. I read everything you post. And and you've just been so helpful to me in my own journey of kind of rebuilding and reimagining what my relationships look like at this age. And I can't wait for your next book. I can't wait for all of it. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for making your work available to the rest of us. You know, therapy is generally behind closed doors. And so it's so helpful for the rest of us to have access to what you do and what you know and how you do it. And so you're the very best. Can you just tell everybody like where to find you, where to find your stuff? Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for for all of that. Likewise, about, you know, all of the things that you do in the world. They can find me on Instagram at Lori Gottlieb underscore author. They can find me on Twitter at Lori Gottlieb one. They can find me on Facebook at my Lori Gottlieb page. They can go to my website, lauriegottlieb.com. They can find my TED Talk on TED. They can find all of my books wherever they buy books. And they can listen to the Dear Therapist podcast wherever they listen to podcasts and they can find my column in the Atlantic. And I love what you said too about making therapy accessible. That is my mission in life is that I feel like for all kinds of reasons, not everybody can go to therapy, whether there's stigma, cultural stigma, access, all kinds of reasons. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take therapy out of the therapy room. When I post on Instagram, often I will post snippets with obviously people's permission of conversations that happen in therapy, all anonymous, but I want people to get the wisdom that other people get to get the lessons that other people are getting in therapy. And we bring it to them in all these different formats. And I hope that whether people go to therapy or they don't go to therapy, that people are saying, I have agency to change my life. Well done. Well said. All right, sis. Thanks for being here. I Uh, just love talking to you every time. All right, you guys, Lori gave you a whole bunch of places to find her. So I'll round all those up for you. If you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I'll have this latest episode and the show notes and then all these links. So if you just want one space to go find them all, I'll have them for you. Thank you so much for being here for this entire series, for the love of being seen and heard. I, I think that we can really heal when we decide to see and hear each other. I really do. Brand new series starting next week that we are so excited about it. You are not going to want to miss a single episode of it. So make sure you've subscribed to the podcast if you haven't already, and it will show up hot into your little AirPods next week when it drops. All right, you guys, see you then. <laughs>